Hello, welcome to the Children of Grace podcast. This is a storytelling podcast, and as such, we acknowledge that recollections of past events may vary from person to person. We are storytellers only, and this podcast should not be considered as any kind of expert, professional, or medical advice. Additionally, the thoughts and opinions of guests may not reflect the opinions of the hosts. Thank you for listening. The Bible Speaks is a fundamentalist Christian church founder and pastor, Carl Stevens. They intimidate you from the pulpit. Don't you say a sentence, not a sentence, not a line. Don't presume or you'll die. How much did you give? Oh, about seven million. To follow the messages of Pastor Stephen, I was guaranteed that angels would come every time I preach. That's the truth. It's just lie after lie. They're trying to divide us from each other, but they're not going to do it as long as I'm pastor, because I know how to handle them, because I'm God's man. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Elita. How are you? I'm actually pretty good today. I've had my iced coffee, you know, feeling good. Me too. I wonder where you got that iced coffee. I have no idea. You know, I actually had iced coffee with some really fabulous people too. And it was really nice. I too. I think you'd like them. I think you would like them too. I think you know them. I think they are us. <laughs> and welcome to our wonderful world of silliness, our wonderful podcast listeners. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Proud of you guys for bearing with us because we're a lot. Yeah, sometimes. We we want you to know that we are not recording late at night and we do have coffee in our hand. So Yeah, we learned this might be better than that late night thing you heard before. We learned from our mistakes. Um the usual warnings, um, we're probably going to touch on religious abuse. Actually we are gonna talk about religious abuse. Oh yeah. Um there may be some topics that will be hard for people to hear. Um, so as always, we ask you to make your mental health a priority. If we touch on something that um, is hard for you and maybe you should skip, feel free to fast forward a little bit. For real, for real. I want, I want to like throw that in just a little bit. If this is too much for you, please don't listen. We would much rather you take care of yourself than listen to us gab for an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, so Karen and I talked a little bit before we recorded. There were a couple things that I wanted to address real quick. One of them was a question that we received about why are we dragging up the past? Like, why are we doing this? And at the time, my response, and I still hold to this, had to do with the fact that when you say break a bone in your body, if you do not, if that does not heal properly, there are instances where you have to re-break the bone in order for it to heal correctly and actually heal all the way. And in this instance, for a lot of us, our healing was stunted or non-existent. Um, and therefore, for a lot of us, this is like having to re-break that bone in order to heal properly. It's painful and it's hard and it's not something we necessarily want to do, but it's something that is needed in order to move forward in life and be able to be a whole happy human again at least for us yeah um but on that topic as well i actually was listening to a video this week of somebody who used to be in an actual cult um in the united states and one Wait, of the so things- are we what do you mean an actual <laughs> cult <laughs> we're an actual cult 
not one that's not as personal. More well known. Uh, Very I see. Well known. And they brought up the topic of why they talk about what they talk about. And one of the things that they pointed out, and I just thought it was so interesting, is that often what survivors are looking for is what happened and how do we get here? And that there's something about filling in the blanks and answering the questions, even though it's hard to discuss and relive, that's very healing. Filling in the blanks and knowing what happens helps you victims heal. Mm. And I just thought that was so accurate for what we are doing and the conversations we've been having that this is why we're doing it. I know we've said from the get-go that we aren't looking to be malicious and that still holds true. But for those who maybe wouldn't understand and who I've seen over time, like on message boards and things that clearly don't understand why people feel the need to talk about these things, it is not always, sometimes it is, but it's not always meant to be malicious. Sometimes you really do have to be able to talk about things and speak up in order to heal all the way. And just to be the little imp that I am, also, because we can, because we wanted to, and if you don't like it, don't listen to it. It's really that simple. I mean, just saying. Uh, I don't know. There's a piece of me that never wanted to have to have these conversations, if I'm really being honest. Oh, really? But I'm feeling that it's healing. And it, there's so much, even in for us, like filling in the gaps in our information and our knowledge and under, can we, better understanding of, of the progression, how we got here, I feel has been hugely helpful. I think so, too. I also was the kid that, like, read Sherlock Holmes novels like they were religion. So I like digging into things and, like, getting to the bottom of it. That's just, I guess, who I am as a person. Yeah, I get fascinated by people and stories. That's that's my jam. That's definitely, yeah, I'm more of, like, the weird, introverted, uh, behind-the-scenes person. And you're definitely more of, like, the people person. <laughs> that's why we work so well together. It does. It works out great. Oh, um, okay. Now that we've talked about that, on... Moving on to uh, what we're about to talk about, because we're about to go into Lennox in the 1980s, but I wanted to set a little bit of what the mentality was and why it was so easy for people to not see what was really happening and the manipulation that was happening. And I, I went digging around and I've listened to a few messages now um, that Carl spoke from different time periods. God bless me. That was interesting. And I can only do like one every so often. <laughs> it's a lot. But I discovered one that was from September of 76. So it would have been like right after they moved to Lennox or shortly thereafter. And one of the things I picked up almost right away. Oh, and this is from... What is considered a classic, it's actually listed on the website for the church as a classic. Um, it was a message that I remember hearing about growing up called throne words. And one of the things that I picked up almost right away, and it really grabbed me, was toward the beginning of the sermon, the, he said, I want you to think with me. And I went, oh, oh. Call to action. And then I went back through some of my notes and realized that I had picked that up in other sermons too. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized how often I had heard that in my life, particularly from Carl. Yeah. I want you to think with me. 
So that sets the stage immediately that when you're when you've got somebody who is claiming to be God's man saying that you can't have a relationship with God without them, they're inviting you in to think the way they think. And it's an easy trap to fall into. Very, well, very easy. And it helps him like build rapport and a relationship with, with everyone at one time, which I think is actually kind of smart. <laughs> yeah. As much as I don't like it. We've talked about how there was a fear factor involved. Like people were afraid for their physical health or safety if they left or if they spoke badly. Well, and eternity afterwards when they're gone. Well, and this really caught my attention because there was something he said in this message about anybody who commits fornication does not enter the kingdom of God. Those are throne words. Nobody who whispers and gossips as a practice will go to heaven. Those are throne words. Drunkenness. Oh, he's going to hell. Drunkenness, lying, fornication, stealing, or envy, or slothfulness shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Did he so, do all those things? <laughs> yes. What the heck? But also, didn't they always preach that we can't lose our salvation? Oh, yeah. Constantly. So those two things do not go together. And also, when you are constantly being told... And usually these things, not in this particular message, but as as I remember growing up, usually these kinds of statements were used in regard to people who were not talking kindly about the church. Oh, yeah. Always. By the same time, if you're hearing these words that if you commit fornication, if you whisper or gossip as a practice, if you get drunk, if you lie, if you fornicate, if you steal, if you're envious or slothfulness, so basically just about anything that most people do in their lives you won't go to heaven. You want to talk about instilling fear in people. That'll do it. Even even doctrinally, that's so backwards because for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why Jesus came back to die for your sins. Like that doesn't even make sense at a basic level. I actually had to kind of get a chuckle because there was one point he said, do you ever see a man get mentally ill or let his emotions get mad if he has thrown words? <laughs> Our dad had thrown words, and uh, I saw him get mad and off lot. Whoa. <laughs> I kind of have to wonder about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, one other thing that I noted when I was listening to this was how unbelievably creepy it was the way he went from speaking like, a, like he's talking to a toddler to screaming. Oh, yeah. And back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. Like he'd yell, he'd be real like animated, and then all of a sudden it'd get real creepy. He'd be like, throne words. <laughs> and I'm like, what? This is the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. And then he'd go to like things like committing fornication and drunken lines, whatever. He'd be yelling at that point, and then he'd be like, he'd yell the statement and then be like, throne words. And I was like, this is bizarre. Yeah, I'm uncomfy. I say all that to set the stage for what the atmosphere was like so people could have a little bit of a better understanding of why it isn't so simple and why, you know, the people that were there and chose to stay there, why it wasn't so black and white and so simple for them back then as it is for us looking back now. Yeah, I think we've done our best here over the Gutsy episodes to really like if you were if you were there at that time, please do not be ashamed because it's just it's just what it's what it is. Yeah, I mean there was another one he preached in 1978. Same thing on adultery, repent or you are in danger of a place you'll never want to go. 
on lying, you're in danger of hellfire if, if you practice lying. On divorce, we think the word of God says you shouldn't stand in the grace of God while you wait for God to move. That one's a dangerous statement right there. Even, even like, even their whole thing that once you get saved, you're saved. Right. What is, I, you know, okay. I, you know, trying to, trying to understand what he's talking about is probably going to hurt us in the long run because he's yeah. confusing. At best. I'm just going to say, though, I have to clarify on that statement about divorce. If you are in an abusive situation, you are not unfaithful. And I don't believe for a second that you're outside the word of God if you need to leave that situation. And quite frankly, if you're being abused and that person refuses to change, you should leave that situation if you can. Well, also, as a raging atheist, do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Anyway, anyway. And but I just wanted to kind of like, I found that so interesting and, and it's in the same time frame we're talking about. So I kind of want to set that stage of what people were hearing and what they, the fear factor that was being put on them constantly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The, the fear factor. The fear factor. I miss that show. Actually, oh, yeah. you know what? In hindsight, I don't because that was very exploitative. And they did some really gross stuff. They did some really, yeah, it's too many snakes and spiders. Anyway, we, we digress. Uh, we're back in Lennox, friends. Lennox in the 1980s. Woohoo! Hey, uh, Karen. Yeah. One, one good thing that came out of Lennox in the 1980. I thought this was going to be a knock knock joke for a second. Uh, what? Me. <laughs> Stop. Stop it. That's awesome. Most of the people we've met that were there have been wonderful. That is true. That is true. And I, I just dated myself, so I don't care. <laughs> Well, no, you did in the first um, the episode all about you. You said you were born in the 80s. That's right. I was. Yeah. I was born in 1980, and, and my parents were in Lennox. We sure as heck are in Gen Z. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably pretty obvious, actually. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, 1980. So quick little um, thing to keep in your brain. Uh, in the 1980s, they established a lot more overseas missions. And Tom Schaller, we mentioned back at the Bible Speaks in South Berwick, one of the first graduates of the college, became a missionary pastor in this time. And he'll end up being important forever, unfortunately. <laughs> Anyways, um, so 1980s, uh, CRI, the Christian Research Institute, and TBS, the Bible Speaks, reached an agreement with this um, report they've been making. As we mentioned last time, it was already kind of in the works before Carl reached out, but apparently Carl reached out. And we actually had that confirmed by a listener this we week did. Yes. and actually wrote us and told us who they think actually initiated that request. And it was not Carl. Yeah, no. Uh, there were people that were there that had reached out to CRI to look into it because they were concerned. So they were already on the case. They asked that TBS make some essentially retractions in the form of a pamphlet and like change quite a few things and they agreed um i bet you know how that's gonna go in the long run but anyways well and one of the big <laughs> sticking points actually the big sticking point was the whole delegated authority Mm-hmm. yep yeah that wasn't good okay so this is all that's all happening in the 80s uh in 1981 another little thing to just keep in your brain a woman named betsy doby dennis moves to Lennox. She's not part of the ministry yet, but that will become very important later on. So, 
the first like hard and fast thing I have for you guys is an article from March 1981. And this is where things are going to start to get spicy. I'm uh, like cradling my microphone. I'm so excited. Uh, this article. I've <laughs> wanted to talk about this for a long time. <laughs> we, oh my God, this, when we finally, we had heard about this, but when we finally found the article, it was like actual heaven. Um, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read this because I think it is insane. So the article is called "At Times They Allegedly Listened In." So Lennox, one of the most serious alleged abuses discussed by the ex-leaders of the Bible speaks is the use of electronic surveillance and taping of telephone conversations. Elwin Kenny, who, as an aside, we brought up—that's the guy that lowered Carl out of the window in Woolwich, was Cassett. So he's involved. Uh, Elwin Kenny of Cundy's Harbor, Maine, the former security chief of the Bible Speaks, said Bible Speaks President Carl H. Stevens Jr. and two other administrators approached him after the church moved to the town in 1976 about obtaining wiretapping equipment. So that's just right now, the basis here is this person who has been heavily involved in the ministry since like the beginning is saying, that Carl Stevens himself and two other administrators came to him about obtaining wiretapping equipment. He has no reason to lie about this, as far as I'm concerned, but take that how you will. Uh, he said he refused, but the equipment was obtained elsewhere and used in the Shermerhorn mansion. Shermerhorn is the biggest part of the building in Lennox. The administrative headquarters of the Bible Speaks. Uh, Kenny and the other former administrators said the telephone monitoring was used to collect and keep information about members of the church and people outside the church who were perceived as threatening. One line Kenny said was tapped into was the extension of the Bible Speaks phone line to an apartment used by a woman named Terry Z, who came up last time, somebody that Carl was having an alleged affair with. Interesting. At that point in this article, she was no longer a member of the Bible Speaks. So he's wiretapping someone he had an affair with who left. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a little creepy to be listening in on somebody that you are allegedly having inappropriate relationships with. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, another ex-administrator who asked not to be identified, so this is another person coming forward, said Stevens once played for him one of Terry's taped telephone conversations. The ex-administrator said the justification for eavesdropping was that Stevens was keeping an eye on people for their best interests. But was it really theirs or his? I think you all know the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah. Gary B. of South Portland, Maine, the former business manager and one of the people who Kenny said approached him about getting wiretapping equipment, has left the ministry. He denied to the Eagle that wiretapping took place, but said some telephone conversations were taped. He said there was no wrongdoing. Like, wait, sir. Huh? Telephone conversations were taped, but there was no wrongdoing. And no wiretapping. Hmm. Interesting. That's interesting. Some of the people involved in the taping telephone conversations and monitoring calls said it was done with a trunk line, mainly used for the church's daily radio show. Any call routed through the trunk line could be listened to or recorded with the equipment used for the show. Oh, gosh. Clever, clever, clever. Whoa. Whoa. I mean, does... Does that open the door to them potentially recording all their callers that were calling into the Daily Show as well? Well, I think a lot of companies do that. I guess, but, ooh. Yeah, I don't think that's too unusual. But yeah, that'd be really awkward if he called in with, like, an anonymous prayer request, huh? Yeah. Yikes. 
Uh, but no, we're not done yet. There's more. The next part of the article has a little heading says, uh, FBI found nothing. So here we go. The FBI's involved. The Federal Bureau of Investigation looked into allegations of wiretapping at the Bible Speaks in March 1981. Brief investigation turned up nothing and was soon dropped. The FBI investigation was instigated by information from former members of the Bible Speaks who had not had first-hand experience with the alleged surveillance. Another former administrator who left shortly after the FBI investigation said he had tapes of conversations in his desk when he was interviewed by the FBI. He declined to be identified, saying if people knew he had been in the ministry, it would hamper a business he runs in the area. He said people at the Bible Speaks denied any knowledge of wiretaps and the FBI investigators went away. This is a direct quote. I sat right there with the tapes in my desk and told the FBI I didn't know anything about it, he said. Yikes. So we're we're popping off with a bang. Welcome to the 80s and Lennox, guys. But wait a minute. Didn't Carl say that lying will keep you from the kingdom of heaven? There's no way Carl... I'm, I'm not going to say that. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Just saying. <laughs> I'm not going to go where I was going to go with that one. We're just going to keep that to myself. So, yeah, that, that whole thing is um, explosive, honestly, in my, in my eyes. Yeah. That's creepy. It's creepy. And it, it really goes to show if the FBI was looking into them, that goes to show how concerned they were about this group. Well, and I don't know this for fact. This is definitely hearsay. But rumor has it the FBI didn't really go away. Yeah, no, we've seen uh, a few <laughs> things about that. I think they wanted them to think they went away, but I don't think that they actually did. I do believe, I could be wrong, but I think this is the only article that we found that directly says the FBI was here at this time. Yes. Yes. This is the only one we've actually seen with our own eyeballs. But it says it. And this is in the 80s, not now when news is questionable at best. So right. <laughs> uh, on March 28th, 1981, so that same month, the Gospel Truth Ministries report, which we quote every so often, came out about TBS. So that's just important to note. Shortly after that, the CRI report, a close look at the Bible Speaks outreach written by Elliot Miller, who was a senior literary consultant at CRI, was copyrighted with a cover letter by Walter Martin. And so that the is cover the letter, rendition. that's the second rendition. So we know that by 81, the first rendition had already come out and Carl had already screwed it up so royally that they had to add a cover letter saying, hey, we said they weren't a cult, but guess what? I guess they kind of are. Yeah, they... um. It, that cover letter is very interesting to read, you know, the, and they were quite dismayed to find that Carl in there, it's, I'm paraphrasing, but basically in their opinion, Carl really gave lip service and, you know, the, he, they had put out the, the response at that point. I think it was like where the Bible speaks stands or something like that um, to look, make it look like they were cooperating, but what he was still preaching at the time was anything but cooperative to what the findings were. Oh yeah. No. And they were getting, people were reaching back out to the CRI, the Institute and, and saying, no, 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 you need to come back. This is not like the, what, what he's telling you and what he's actually doing are two very different things. For sure. Yeah. I just think it's fascinating. Like they're, they're already looking into you. Then you reach out and say that you reach out in the first place to your congregants, which isn't true. They come, you kind of cooperate, but also you lie. 
and they're like oh it's fine just do these things they're like sure and then they just don't don't do those like what this could have gone really well for them if they had just like ate their words a little bit and calmed down a little bit (laughs) i think that's part of what frustrates me is that over time they had so many opportunities where people who really genuinely wanted to help Mm -hmm. gave them the information that they needed to be a healthy place right and they outright refused to follow it when it wasn't even in like an insulting way it was like hey this is a little bit unusual maybe just do this instead it wasn't even like screw you guys it was pretty tame right it wasn't like a hard and fast set of rules it was hey these are the recommendations we're making to help you know to help you be healthy to help you have good relationships with the other evangelical organizations in the area and they just were not they weren't interested in fact see if i can find it in my notes here i actually heard something last night that was said about other evangelicals um it was talking about it was uh, an address to the graduates that said don't let anything pollute the river and one of the pollutants that was talked about was um the water doesn't have to be polluted or have the oil, chemicals, or filth it picks up as it passes through the religious system and evangelical construct. Hmm. So they really, really, by the end of the 80s, took this all the way to the extreme where, you know what, it's not, we don't even, they're not even going to try anymore to fit in. Well, did they ever? They're going to outright say that everybody else is, is wrong and polluting your water, so to speak, the river of life. Yeah, yeah, I think they were starting that rhetoric actually probably all the way back in South Earth, but not as extreme. Yeah. Like seeds of it. So the rest of our information for this year relies extraordinarily heavily on the CRI report. <laughs> yeah. Like extraordinarily heavily. So there was a guy, Daniel L., if you know, you know, who was an international field director, branch pastor, and former dean of students at Stevens School of the Bible according to the CRI report, had for years exhibited the kind of absolute loyalty that Stevens demands of his old delegated authority teachings. So in April 1981, when Mark B., someone that went to the the church, was wavering in his commitment to TBS, Daniel L. met with Mark B. in order to quiz him as to his loyalty on Stevens and also to inquire concerning the loyalty of some of Mark B.'s close friends. Daniel L. told him that one of his friends had disagreed with Stevens concerning his teachings on women. I would love to know what those were. Said Dean L., or Daniel L., when something is said under an anointing, you don't challenge it that way. Wasn't Mark one of the pastors of one of the affiliates? I think so. I, I can't exactly remember. Because I, I I do believe there's another part in the report where he was pretty much challenged. Like, if you had a problem with this, would you walk away? Him and other people. And he was one of the few that said, yeah, I would. That might be in here somewhere. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. We might. Yeah, we'll not find it. Kudos to him, nonetheless, for the integrity uh-huh. that he showed. Absolutely. Uh, a number of branch pastors, in addition to the th- ones we talked about just now, have demonstrated their continuing belief in the principles of delegated authority. Although we do not wish, this is the CRI reports, you know, although we do not wish to delve into the ugly, ugly details, rough, of some serious abuses perpetrated by certain branch pastors, 
<laughs> we should note that misuse of power, not surprisingly, is almost always accompanied by advocacy of the old ideas of authority. They were not mincing words. And unfortunately, one of the pastors that's named in that report as demonstrating their continuing belief in those principles was the one that we grew up under. Oh, no way. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That name, that name shows up. Okay. I don't know why I'm surprised. That name shows up. No, I don't know why I'm surprised. Yeah. Um, so someone named Leon L. initially invited this writer, the writer of the CIA report, to come to Lennox. So there's, there's somebody right away who isn't Carl who invited them to come. Yep. Said to them recently, When you were in Lennox, we never told you the truth completely. Carl Stevens had me prepare tapes of carefully selected excerpts so you would hear just what he wanted you to hear. After you left, we changed nothing. Yeah. Former branch pastor Rick P. was among the group of pastors who were preparing to meet with Walter Martin of the CRI report in Lamex during June of 1981. Rick P. reports that as he sat around a table at the Bible Speaks restaurant, first of all, what? The Bible Speaks restaurant? They mean cafeteria? Well, I mean, I was going to say, I feel like they did have a cafe <laughs> on the property. That makes sense. That tracks. Anyway, in that restaurant, Carl Stevens told them, I'm not going to have this, insert derogatory term here, coming into my ministry and telling me what to do. I'm going to preach the gospel, go into the world, and I'm going to do it my way. Well, there's a shock for you. He's <laughs> just so, like, so blatant about it. I'm not going to do it God's way. I'm going to do it my way. Uh, he had, uh, he had balls. <laughs> yeah, well, he definitely had chutzpah, that is for sure. Yeah, my goodness. Um, on the other hand, Stevens had no qualms about using Walter Martin's name when he thought it would bolster his own position. On one occasion, he told the congregation in Lennox, you'll see what delegated authority is when Walter Martin comes out and speaks on it. Walter Martin did, in fact, come to Lennox to speak on the cults, but the reader can rest assured that he was not promoting delegated authority, and that's in, in parentheses in the report. <laughs> Stephen Q. and Chuck C. sought counsel from him on how to handle the difficult situation they faced. Professor Martin advised Chuck C. to present Carl Stevens with an internal analysis which would clearly identify the problem areas and advise specific action to correct them. If Chuck C's analysis and recommendations were rejected, then it would be necessary to take a new approach and bring the truth of what was really going on within the organization before the concerned public. In the analysis, which he submitted to Carl Stevens, Chuck C did an excellent job of putting his finger right on the heart of the Bible Speaks problems. Before demonstrating the unbiblical nature of the mid-70s authority teaching, Chuck C wrote, This report has been necessary because we have taken some steps to correct the problems. We have never admitted areas in which we were wrong, we must admit our error, however painful this will be, and express our intention to reteach the ministry. I do not believe that it is enough to explain why certain things happened, as we did in the message A New Beginning, which I want to find. Maybe you could find that one. Yeah, I'll take a look. Uh, instead, we must face the issues, address them, and admit them as an error. If we do this, I believe we will be strengthened as a ministry. I further believe that most of the problems we've had in the other ministries will cease. This kind of statement I suggest in this letter is what Dr. Martin spoke about in one of our luncheons with him. It can only help us. So, like, even the people that are part of the ministry that are there working with Walter Martin, all they want to do is help. Yeah, and it, 
goes, I mean, kudos to them for having the critical thinking skills to see it. Yeah. And even more so to have the courage to speak up and say something about it. Oh, um, for anybody interested, the CRI report is actually available online in both written form and in like, a, like an almost an audio book, essentially. It's an AI reading yeah. of the actual document. If you want help finding it, absolutely email us. We would be happy to send you those links. Yes. And much thank you to the listener who actually put that into an audio form and sent it to us and told us that we could let you know about it. Yes, she's a she's an absolute gem, that one. Yes. Yes, she is. I agree. I hope she'll, she'll be on someday. That would be nice. I think that that would be a very interesting conversation. Yes. <laughs> you know who you are. We're here for you. I love you. We do. Uh, so this kind of confirms what you were asking about. Mark B., was one of the Bible Speaks leaders who gave us hope for the ministry. This is an excerpt from CRI Report. We were made aware of one occasion in which he rebuked a member of the congregation who was proclaiming what a blessing it would be to receive a flow of Stephen's anointing through the authorities he delegates. At another time, George M. pointedly asked Mark B. and an intern pastor, if you found out that what Stephen's is teaching contradicts Jesus Christ in the Bible, would you still follow it? The intern, answering first, replied, I would still follow Pastor Stevens because he has helped me. Then Mark B., hesitating for a moment, responded, No, I couldn't follow him if he contradicted Jesus and the Bible. In August 1981, after concluding that Stevens was in conflict with Scripture, Mark B. did in fact resign from the organization. Yeah, and wh what he had to say about this is actually, like, this is just not okay. Um, he gave a little insight on the early days of their church when they started meeting in a basement with about 40 or 50 people. And this was a branch church. It was not in Lenox, but it was another spot in Massachusetts. Um, that there were families in the church who gave money so they could help actually build a church and not meet in the basement. Uh, one man gave $5,000. So the headquarters in Lenox heard about it and had the pastor in charge of finances call and ask them to give the $5,000 to Lenox. And they sent two specific people, Bobby and Leon, to come ask about giving it to Lennox. And about a year later, when another man wanted to give $1,000 to the church, the same finance person again came to them and said, ask them to give it to them. And they said, no, they gave it to, to our church for this building for this purpose. And that finance person said, no, Lennox needs it. So, like, they weren't just sucking the sponge dry from their own congregants campus in their own area they were sucking it from other places too yeah the CRI report actually says that the branch ministries were becoming just another way to get money into home base yeah and that you know who does that sound like well <laughs> it's sad like there was no consideration given for the branch ministries at one point, a widow in this same church gave all her money and others in that area gave money. And they, the, the pastor felt like he was forced to stay there to maintain a little Bible study just to try to save face. So they could be not accused. They wouldn't be accused of going to area, taking the money people leaving. What a horrible situation to be in. Oh, absolutely. Because doing the right thing also means that you're, it's going to look like you were not fair to the people around you when nothing could be further from the truth from what it sounds like right yeah and the report actually we talked about um 
White People's Temple, Jonestown, last time. It's actually in the CRI report. So this little excerpt says, Once the concepts of delegated authority and the end justifies the means, gag me, were planted in a number of minds, it was only a matter of time before they would blossom into full-blown controversy. The Bible Speaks became a subject for media exposés in New England and elsewhere, especially after the mass suicide by People's Temple members in Jonestown, Guyana. Evangelical churches and organizations often shunned TBS because they'd had bad experiences with TBS members, shocking, received reports of questionable doctrines or activities, accurate, or heard that the Christian radio personalities and counterculture groups or countercult groups were investigating TBS and classifying them as a Christian cult. Which is very interesting because as we pointed out last time, back then there wasn't the same amount of information available as mm-hmm. there is now to be able to make a clear determination as to what is and is not a cult. And it seems like there was a hesitancy as well to label things cults that weren't like obviously bad. Well, and I can see that. I, I still sometimes struggle with that word, if I'm really being honest, because of like Jonestown and some of the other affiliations that come with that. It just kind of seems really harsh and extreme of a word, but it if you look at the actual definitions laid out, particularly in the bite model, it's really not as harsh as it sounds on its face. Well, I do think, too, it seems unbelievable, but when you look at everything in totality, and it'll be easier for people that don't know about this cult when we're done, but it does seem like it was entirely possible that this group could have become another Waco or another People's Temple like they it's not that big of a leap it honestly it just would have taken carl stevens deciding to go that route i yeah i i think that there was definitely a small core that would have followed him into anything and anywhere yeah it wouldn't be as many people as jonestown for sure i was gonna say i don't think it would be the whole i especially when you know we're talking about we're in the early 80s people are really starting to wake up to what's going on well you think that you know it sounds like people were asking questions or either you know i think a lot of the questions that were being asked to be honest were probably being asked behind the scenes and there weren't that many brave people that would dare to ask them in public probably not because of the fear factor i know of at least one person that that's the case they saw things that seemed didn't seem right but they were scared to speak up yeah and they were scared to ask for sure i just think if carl had um been just a little bit worse of a person this could have gone a lot more poorly than it did and thank goodness that he wasn't it didn't yeah like he sucks for sure but like he wasn't or that other people that other people saw it and that they that there it was well known that there was an eye on them yeah for sure oh goodness so people after the first report was released, multiple people reached out to them and said, Hey, this is this is these things are still happening. Like they haven't changed anything. There is no repentance happening. There are some changes, but it's more of like a layer of covering instead of an actual repentance. They are making it look good. Yeah, like it's uh, icing on a really gross cake. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Do you remember there was a sitcom we used to watch? Where the father made the distinction to the son about a really good steak being served on a nice piece of china versus on a trash can lid. Gross. No, but it's the same idea. Yeah, no, for sure. Yep. Yeah. Um. So, since delegated authority is apparently no longer being taught from the pulpit, 
a natural question would be whether the old ideas are still being communicated through different means. And Mark B made this observation, which he experienced himself from Massachusetts up to August 1981. So he said, from the pulpit, he, Carl Stevens, would say, I don't believe in delegated authority. Then he would have a group around him at a coffee shop. Those coffee shops I mentioned before, interesting. And he would stress his importance as a unique and exceptional leader. He would try to bolster our faith in him as a great prophet. Ah! By arguing that seemingly unfulfilled prophecies that he had given in the 1970s were in fact coming to pass. This is some real cold here. Oh, man. Yeah. Man. Yeah. It's not even original. Like, it's just not. Oh, no. Not even remotely. <laughs> no, it's, it's off the deep end, though. Uh, it continues on. He personally disciples people. And if you really want to be with it in the Bible Speaks, you have to be around him. I want to ride with Pastor. Oh, but that was true. It was true. I personally witnessed that myself. Oh, for sure. We've heard it a million times, too. Uh, He will go out for coffee, and maybe 50 people will follow him. They'll have a rap session, and he will do almost all the talking. Color me shocked. He also has a rap session after services. In those sessions, he's able to get his ideas across. Yeah, because I think a lot of those were not recorded. Oh, no. Yeah, that's where he could really go in on people's. And I think that's an interesting distinction because that he did most of the talking. And that's also true. I actually personally witnessed that too. But up here, when they would do them, there was a lot more community discussion. I remember that being a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't all just a pastor trying to drill home something behind the scenes. It, there was a lot more community discussion where people actually did get to ask questions. But I do think even up here, I think there were times that it was used as a tool to be a little more pointed when needed. Yes. That, oh, absolutely. They're, they were less guarded in their answers, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just wanted to note, they have church all the time. They have rap sessions afterwards all the time. They have classes. They have all these things going on. They also have these coffee houses where, like, his closest followers would go. And I think we're going to get into it more later, but he re- really showed his true colors in those coffee shops. Yeah. To be a fly on that wall. Oh, I don't know that I'd want to be a fly on that wall, to be really honest with you. I would at least once, just to see. I kind of have this philosophy where I don't want to know what I'm not supposed to know. (laughs) Oh, see, I want to know everything. (laughs) I want to know everything. I don't want to be responsible for what I know if I'm not supposed to know it. (laughs) Fair enough. I just, I, I find comfort in knowledge. I feel safer when I know what's going on. Um, So the more information that I have, the better I I feel. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I get you. Like 100% like something like this, I want to know the answers. I'm more like referring to like when it became more of a gossip session about other people. Oh, see, I want to see that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't know. I don't want to know what I'm not supposed to know. And I don't want to be responsible for information I'm not supposed to have about other people. I just don't, I, ugh. (laughs) It's funny because I'm actually a, I'm a pretty private person outside of this, but man. Yeah, you are. It's actually kind of funny to hear you say this. I I love a good gossip. Not not me saying anything, just listening to everybody else. Jeez. Maybe because I don't get out much. Maybe that just like makes me feel like I'm part of things. I don't know, Karen. You might have been a prime candidate. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I, I would not have gotten along with Carl at all. 
He would have hated my guts. You know, the thing is, though, is that so much of this, like, I've personally witnessed so much of this, where, like, if you didn't go to, say, a rap because you had to work the next day. Right. The attitude was basically like, are you crazy? Why would you miss anything that he's doing? Why would you not? Like, and there were always, always people around him. And, Mm -hmm. like, the adulation was definitely over the top. Oh, yeah, for sure. in In a very unhealthy way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Mark B continues, even though he changed outwardly, so like he put on a facade, the icing on the cake, if you will, the control that he exerted over people was still present. I remember once before a meeting, a few of us went out with Stevens and he began talking about how people close to him were off. He mentioned how Steve Q was off, how Mike G was off, and how Bobby O was thinking this way. It was an example, I think, of a control that he felt he had as God's man over these people. In other words, he could think anything that he wanted about them in the name of discerning their spirits, to try to manipulate them back, or to have people side with him against them. Call me crazy, but wasn't gossip one of the things he said in dull words would uh, keep you from the kingdom of God? I'm saying, like, everything you mentioned about keeping people from the kingdom of God, Carl's guilty of. So wow. it's 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 a very maybe he was maybe he was projecting. <laughs> I was gonna say it was a very do as I say, not as I do kind of situation here happening. I wonder if he had a level of like internal guilt and knowledge that he was kind of in the wrong, but he couldn't accept that, so he just projected all of that outwards at everybody else. I don't oh, that's a hard one. I there's no way of knowing for sure. We'll we'll never know. Man. We'll never know. I mean, I would like to think that that there, there that there was a part of him that maybe would have that kind of integrity to at least feel a little guilty about what he was doing. But I mean, the number of years he continued to do it really makes me question that. Yeah, I guess that is kind of wishful thinking. All right, moving right along. Uh, on August fifth, nineteen eighty one, Pastor Stevens preached a very forceful message which seems to reinstate the basic delegated authority position. So he's just doubling down, I guess. In the message, he stated that the branch ministry pastors are united behind him and want to return to the old ways and old teachings. He stressed the importance... Which some of them did. Some of them did, not all of them. Mm -hmm. He stressed the importance of oneness and loyalty, saying, seemingly, that only faculty members who were one with him, loyal to him, and in accord with his views his views lowercase h and teachings would be allowed to teach in the fall so if you didn't conform you're out of a job and boy is that shades of baltimore to come oh gosh all of this is is i I would say foreshadowing but it's more of like um like a seed It, it very much it very much is oh oof all right so we've got another excerpt here um regarding one of Carl Stevens's sons. And I just want to note here, we recently talked to someone who knows this person um, very well. And they are no longer involved with the ministry and have a really hard time um, talking about this stuff. So I'm not, I'm not even going to say his first name. I'm just going to say one of Carl Stevens's sons. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's I think that's a wise or or make up a name. I think that's a very wise call to make. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we'll make up another name. Um, I just, I think that um, knowing that he doesn't really want this dug up around him, I would rather respect that and just let him 
live his life. Agreed. Fully agreed. Um, we're going to call him Macklemore. What? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's what came oh. to mind first. Let's call him Wayne. <laughs> I'm gonna pop some tags. No, uh, Wayne. No, George. George. We're gonna call him How George. About George. We're gonna call him George. All right. Uh, so Chuck C. Related to the writer of CRI report, an experience he had during this period. So one Sunday morning, I got a call into the office from George, Carl Stevens's son. He and Mario M. and Carl Stevens wanted to talk to me. This was maybe a month after I did my version of the report to you. So he's talking to the writers of the CRI report, which Stevens had changed. Like he was doing better. Uh, Stevens called me to the office and said, Well, I guess this had to happen sooner or later. I would like you to write a letter to Walter Martin telling him that we have changed on delegated authority. I have no problem. Uh, Sure. With you differing with what I preached in the past, but it's obvious that there is no problem with delegated authority now. Will you write a letter? (sighs) And Chuck C. said, I love this guy. Well, I'll write a letter, but you won't like what it says, because I'll have to tell him that there are still problems and that delegated authority is still being preached. God love him. What a guy. And apparently at this, Carl lost his mind and started yelling at him and saying that he had to repent. I'm sure afterwards he had a session committing him to Satan or something. <sighs> well, and I mean, if he would do it to the person he did it to before, I have no doubt. Um, and then another, it looks like another pastor. Two, two of them. Also got involved. Yep. Um, and said, there's got to be repentance and by God there will be. And he just ripped into me. This is again, Chuck talking. Um, he didn't seem to understand that two weeks before or so, another branch pastor from Vermont had gotten up in a service and said, and this is probably the truest thing I've ever heard any of them say right here. Honestly. I don't know why these people have problems with delegated authority. I love delegated authority. I love the power that it gives me. And there it is in a nutshell. Somebody accidentally said the thing you're not supposed to say out loud. So you guys have to reach out to us. I... I start. I want to start making merch, and I want that <laughs> to be the first what? one. I love delegated authority. I love delegated authority. I love the power that it gives me. Oh, oh no! I, so fun. Like, oh my goodness, my guy. Why don't you just yeah? Or we or we could use this one that came out two weeks after that. There are no problems with delegated authority. And he specifically told Chuck, Carl specifically told Chuck that he was to see for believing that there were. So the same person who's asking him to write a letter is saying, yeah, we changed our position two weeks later is saying there's no problems with that. And that you're to see for thinking that there is. I can, I can just, I'm an artist, guys. I can just see the shorts in my head now. Are you being deceived? The, the double talk, blows, the double talk just blows my mind. Like they talk out of both sides of their mouth particularly carl all the time all the time it's wild the the i love the power that it gives me is just the biggest like self snitch <laughs> great like, what were you even thinking when you said that out loud i actually feel very bad for that particular person um family member one of the things that we were told was that when there were staff layoffs in the 80s the early 80s that that particular family member was the one who was assigned to do it and that it was not easy for them. Um, and oh, are we talking about George? Yeah. Okay. And that 
they left not terribly long after that. And I mean, what a horrible position to put somebody in. I mean, you brought all these people here under the pretense that you're going to pay them to be staff. You're going to, you know, give them free housing. And, and it didn't take a whole lot, very long. We're all only talking four years before that started to go away. And it makes me wonder what they were doing with their money, because that's also the same time frame that they were pressuring other ministries, including the one that we'd refer to, to give them the money that they were being given. Well, we'll get into where some of the money was going in a little bit here. But to tie us in with this, personally, one of the people that George had to lay off was our dad. Yeah. And he ended up moving back to South Berwick after that. So that's how he ended up where we ended up. And sadly, that's not the first time. It was not the only time that our dad was promised something by one of the ministries and it was given for maybe a short period of time and then it was taken away Mm -hmm. because that also happened in the move here yeah don't even get me started i'll talk about that for the next hour and a half yeah oh my god we've been talking for an hour and we're still in 1981 oh we can do it because we're we're about to hit this hit where our, our newfound friend is gonna hit the scene um so there's a lot more interesting things that happened in the Sierra report we're going to save the bulk of them for another episode dedicated just to that report because there's just there's just so much happening but that gives a pretty good overview of what was happening up to the point of its release yeah and then it didn't take long once that second version came out numbers started dropping um fairly dramatically oh yeah they lost six of 11 faculty members by the end of 1981 including um the uh, president, I believe, of the college. I think so, too, yeah. And the deans of the college. Yes. Um, and, the, yeah, between that point and the, by the time they left, there, they, I think there was a little bit of a rise in the middle and then another, a huge drop again. So, like, it, the, it, when things really hit the fan, like, you could just see chunks of people figuring out and leaving. For sure. And I do think it's culturally relevant to note as well that at the, I think the end of 1981, Rajneesh Param was founded. And I don't know, you probably haven't heard of that unless you're really into cults like we are. I've never heard of that. You haven't? No. Okay, so this this is specifically interested to, interesting to me because it's what Lennox feared most. So Rajneesh Param was a religious intentional community in the Northwest United States. It was located in Oregon. It was incorporated as a city they became their own city between 1981 and 1988. Its population consisted entirely of Rajneeshis, followers of the spiritual teacher Rajneesh, who was later known as Osho. And we'll bring it up a little bit later when it's relevant, but they would go on to launch, like, terror attacks, Mm. assassination plots. Um, They tried to overthrow people that were in government in Oregon and take their place to further their interests like this is what this is what Lennox was most afraid of I think and it really happens it there well can you can you blame them when you've got this going on around you locally and then in a wider broader spectrum this is where you you know you see a lot of these other more more well I mean other than this one I guess more well-known groups springing up mm-hmm. that were doing some scary crap like <laughs> well I mean like people's temple they went and made their own city Jonestown. Yeah, I mean it. Uh, it's abs. I can I can totally see why people were so there that there were people in that area that were so concerned. Oh, for sure. 
1982, Betsy Dovey Dennis, we talked about earlier, she began going to the Bible Speaks. That'll be important later. George, Carl's son, leaves the ministry, according to the Berkshire Eagle. They wrote, the most striking departure was that of Stephen's son, George, who left in 1982. He was vice president of the organization and held the title of president briefly. In an interview with the Eagle, George said that he had been groomed to take over the business aspect of the ministry. Stewart said he left because he could not condone the way people were being treated or the way the Bible Speaks was being operated. It ran counter to what he had been raised to expect, he said. Good on him. That's so interesting. It, it really is, and I'm, I don't know him, but I am proud of him for being able to stand up to his dad like that. Yeah, I can't. That's hard to do. We know from experience. I mean... I totally agree. Like we've mentioned before, I don't think I ever would have even done this podcast while dad was still around and not because I want to talk about him behind his back or speak ill of him now that he's deceased, but because I would have been terrified to do it. I, I probably could have been persuaded to, <laughs> but just because I'm... Well, yeah. Your, yeah. your relationship with him and mine at that point were very different things. Very different things. Yes. Yeah. We were much more restrained, him and I. Oh, 1982 is also when another crucial evangelical group kind of ended up weighing in on this. This tickles me. And that was the Billy Graham. I love this. The Billy Graham Telephone Counseling Center, which I didn't realize was based in Watertown in 1982. Watertown's in Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, they turned down Bible Speaks members who wanted to be counselors. The Reverend Stutzman of Wellesley, a member of the center's executive committee, sent the applicants a letter with five reasons why the Billy Graham group did not want to associate with the Bible Speaks. And the reasons were, here we go, exaltation of Stevens, prophecies of divine retribution against people, teachings that only people in the Bible Speaks are saved or born again in Christ, lack of truthfulness and fundraising, <clears throat> and they cited an example of collecting money to pay for a radio broadcast on Transworld Radio when that company had already refused the request for Bible Speaks to air the show. So rude. <laughs> and Stephen's use of the Lord told me during sermons. Whew. Yep. I, I love... I That must have made Carl so mad. When Billy Graham was like, no. Absolutely not. In a letter to um, from the Billy Graham Evangelical Association from 1982, signed by the Reverend Stutzman, um, and the subject was the policy and position regarding the Bible Speaks. Obviously, there must have been some hoopla about this if they felt like they had to address it publicly. It says, Dear friends, during the June Crusade preparations, a committee was assembled to evaluate counselor applications. Um, and that is how they did things. I actually, as a side note applied to be a counselor at a Franklin Graham crusade years later up this way. Um, this committee included a broad representation of Christian pastors and workers included along with a consideration of an individual's personal testimony. There had to be a point of reference from a local church based on a scriptural principle found in Matthew 18, 16. It was important to be able to confirm a person's commitment by at least the above two witnesses. This brought us then to a discussion of various churches and groups that might be participating. It was at this point that the committee made the decision unanimously that we should not be identified with the Bible Speaks. The executive committee for the Telephone Counseling Center is not free to break with that decision. The decision to not identify with them was made after considerable discussion and input upon certain problems that have typified the movement. 
namely, number one, the exaltation of the movement's leader, either by design or by implication, that he is seen especially as an apostle or prophet beyond the present limit of scripture. Mr. Stevens has claimed to have apostolic-like teachings on the order of Acts 2.42. I find it very interesting that they refuse to call him pastor. Number two, either Mr. Stevens or the movement have taught obedience to Carl Stevens to the point that at times those who went against him were prophesied against. The purpose appears to be to rule or oversee by fear. See 2 Timothy 1.7. Number three, the Bible speaks and word teaches that the corporate body of Christ may be larger, but in practice has openly proselytized or other times secretly proselytized among sound evangelical churches to gain sheep for their particular corporate body. 2 Timothy 2.22 and following warn against those who would produce quarrels. Acts 20, 28-30, warn against those wolves who spare not the flock and would draw away disciples to themselves. Number four, there have been problems in the area of truthfulness on certain activities. For example, Mr. Stevens was announcing a need for funds that his teaching might be taken worldwide via Transworld Radio when in fact no permission had been granted by TWR to that point and was subsequently denied after Mr. Stevens' announcement. This is just one example. There could be more. Number five, there is a serious question raised at certain points when Mr. Stevens saying, the Lord told me. By those words laying more and less claim to divine inspiration, the above example is only one of many examples when Mr. Stevens was sure that the Lord had told him something was so. Scripture says that if someone claims to be a prophet and speaks directly for the Lord, he must give proof of that by being right 100% of the time, Deuteronomy 18.22. If he is not right that often, even 85%, don't listen to him. Friends, it is not my intention to either destroy your faith, to destroy the unity and love of the body of Christ, or to bring down the Bible speaks. I would much rather see that movement is changed to conform to the clearest biblical standards. As a committee, please know it is not always easy to accept a decision which hurts another person. Please know we are attempting to be faithful to Christ's church and to you. Indeed, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Proverbs 27, 6. Indeed, this is why I felt a personal obligation to follow through on a promise for an explanation. Please accept this in sincerest love and concern. Let the Lord give you wisdom to either accept what is said or as fact or throw away what seems to be only allegations. Let the Lord lead you from this point. What a shame how many people now have, within the evangelical community, have gracefully come to them and tried to help. What blows my mind about this as someone who's just really not um, not with this group at all is, like, these evangelicals to me are extreme. As as a, like a regular non-believing person, they, they are already a lot for me to take. And even they are like, absolutely not. You guys are nuts. I just think that's... Yeah. I mean, they're not wrong. It, they aren't wrong i actually ran across a quote that sits on my wall that says when you claim to speak for god when you claim to be the mouthpiece of god you deserve to have every word you say scrutinized that's on your wall i have it on a post-it on my wall that's a very strange piece of decoration oh a post-it you said a post-it yeah it's oh i thought, like a poster. I thought you said a poster <laughs> i thought it was a poster no 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 a oh that's so funny because it really struck me, like, it's not meant to be, like, in the spirit of Sam, with the spirit of this letter, it's not meant to be rude. No. But if they're saying basically the same thing, if you're you you if you're going to claim to preach for, speak for God, you got to be 100%. And yes, you should, it should line up with what scripture says, and you should absolutely look at that and question that if it's not. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and the thing is, is that pastors are human. 
It's what they do with it when they make a mistake that matters. Like they're going to make mistakes. They're human. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's what they do with it when they make a mistake and they're confronted with it. That is very telling. And in this situation, it was telling in all the wrong ways. Well, Carl is God's man, right? Well, so he says. Sorry, I'm so sarcastic. Um, To (laughs) round out 1982, the college enrollment in Lenox in 79 was 450. As 82 closes out, it had dropped to 175. So that's, yeah. It does sound like the combination of the CRI report, the Gospel Ministers report, and Billy Graham really did open a lot of eyeballs. Oh, for sure. Um, and I'm I'm also sure that things that people that were close to him were starting to see um, likely also contributed to that. Oh, I just... So the, the report that I talked about earlier was not the amended report. It was the original report. Okay. Because the amended one came out early 1983. Oh, okay. So it is the original. So, sorry, guys. This, I honestly, this is a lot to keep track of. It sure is. <laughs> oh, God. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And we like, we also have like families and jobs. So we're, we're trying. We're doing yeah. our best. I do want to point out that we were told by more than one person who was in Lennox that congregants were told from the pulpit that the CRI report was wicked and evil and that something will happen to you if you read it. Oh, yeah. People that we grew up with have told us recently that they didn't even read it until like within the last 10 years yeah they still didn't they were scared to do it yes they were like terrified and even when they were reading it when they weren't there anymore they were like looking over their shoulders like they were scared to be caught reading it even though they were already gone oh like that's how I, bad it was i have a vague memory of later on down the road when i was six or seven the topic that we're about to get to um in the next episode oh uh, this I, I have a vague memory of the same thing happening where if you watch certain interviews or read certain article that something would have like there was a fear factor involved where i don't remember exactly what was said but it was definitely like don't do this or something you know bad will happen i'm shocking that's his go-to i guess <laughs> oh Funnily enough, I do remember actually seeing it on somebody's TV screen in their apartment at the building. <laughs> and I don't remember, I can't for the life of me remember who was in there at the time in that apartment. But I distinctly remember walking in there and they had that interview, the 60 Minutes interview on in their, in their living room. That's funny. Uh, also in 1983, the Bible Speaks purchased a Norwegian ferry to renovate and use as a missionary relief vessel in the Caribbean. Caribbean? Caribbean. I guess it depends on your movie preferences. <laughs> Pirates. Uh, Pirates. They, they named the boat they named the boat La Gracia with Baltimore, Maryland as its, its, its official home port. Where it's Jesus. I would assume then that Baltimore must have had a church by that point in 1983 for them to be using that as its official home port. Yes, there was a branch ministry already set up there, which is what Carl ended up going to and taking over. So, yes, there was yeah. one in Baltimore. I actually saw the boat when I was a kid. I know. We were just talking about this this morning at coffee. Yeah. I saw the boat, and we actually got to go on the boat. I didn't. I wasn't alive. 
you know, you were not, but I actually remember this and it was confirmed for me that yes, I actually saw the boat and I actually went on the boat. And of course, I'm sure that's pretty exciting. As a kid, it was huge. I couldn't tell you now as an adult whether how big it really was, but I mean, as a kid, it was like, whoa, that's a big boat. It was a ferry, so I'm assuming it's like decently large, but not not I, enormous. I think I remember being really gray. Like it was painted huh. gray. Like it was a lot of gray on it that's really my biggest takeaway and that it was for me as a kid it was a big boat <laughs> uh november 16th 1983 family life seminars fls um wrote a letter replying to an unknown source supporting the cri report and warning not to pursue any association with this group from the director of the ministry and it was signed by him uh, i'm not gonna read the whole letter out because it was to someone specific but worth noting yeah just another institution that was like please no yeah all right moving right along to 1984 we're making progress uh 1984 carl married his second wife barbara stevens they you're not confused they were both named barbara take that however you want it's barbara stevens the second barbara the second that sounds like a british royalty title well i don't think that's accurate but Bar Barbara 2 Barb 2.0 oh no that's not nice <laughs> well, apparently she wasn't very nice either I don't know her though so I can't say for sure um, yeah. in 84 TBS published a pamphlet called a local church conspiracy about a split I'm assuming they mean the split after the CRI report yes okay and that tracks with the with the number decline in numbers too Yes, that would that would make sense. Uh, also in 84, the Berkshire Eagle, this is an article that was later on, but it cites 84. Um, this is the article called The Bible Speaks Issues of Power and Dissent. So as part of its response, the Bible Speaks cites the good it does through its religious and community programs. Including in the list is Task Force 84, a political awareness organization that started showing its power on local issues last year. But Lillian S. of Lee... <laughs> founder and head of the group, ardently denies that her organization was created by or is associated with TBS. I have a bone to pick. I mean, this is Lennox's worst nightmare coming true. They're getting into politics. But also, this is something that happens, has happened repeatedly throughout the history of the church. If anybody dares say a bad word, look at the fruit, look at the fruit, look at the good things we do. And yes, they did do a lot of good things um, both in their church and in their community, you know, like them or love them, there were some good things they did, but... but fruit can rot. Fruit can rot. If you're going to look at the fruit, you can't... It's it's like a friend of mine and I went to an apple orchard this fall, and there was fruit all over the trees. But when you got a little closer, a lot of the fruit had rot, and, it, 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 and, and it's not on the owners. It was actually a really rough year. A lot of the orchards around here had a hard time, but... It was really difficult to find the good fruit. You really had to go looking for it and digging for it to find it. And, you know, the fact that the tree had some rotting fruit does not necessarily mean the whole tree is bad. But at the same time, the, fast, the fact that it produced a little bit of good fruit does not negate all the rot and bad fruit that was all over the trees. And that is something I've always had an issue with. It's it's like they had no problem at all sweeping broken and hurt people under the rug 
and saying, don't look at this over here. Just look at the little bit of good fruit we have here. I hate that. It drives me bananas. To continue that analogy, though, because I think it's a good one, when you go to an orchard and you don't do pick your own, they pick the best fruits to put in front of you in the store part to bring home with you. Oh, yeah. Which I think is a, a, a great analogy for what TBS did. Yeah, for sure. They didn't even want you to go in the orchard. They just wanted you to take the, the good bag and run away. Just take the nice ones. Yeah. No, that makes Everything's great here. Good analogy, Lita. I like that one. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, we'll get into this more later, but from 84 to 85, approximately $6.5 million was donated to the Bible Speaks by Adobe Dennis. We're going to get into that whole thing later. Yes, we are. But I am going to make one point here that was told to us. This was coming from a mile away. That all that's about to happen and the fact that people gave a lot of money because it was pointed out to us that Carl had asked a group of pastors at one point along the way in Lennox to befriend wealthier people to give money and only one of them declined. And the source for this, we know to be extraordinarily trustworthy. They were there. They are probably correct. Yep. And shame on the ones that went with it. <laughs> All but one, yeah. apparently, but we're not going to... All but one. Yeah. We're not going to name names. Uh, also, just like worth noting in 84, was the Rajneeshi, Rajneesh Param, terror attacks. Um, so just a quick little overview of that, because I think it's interesting. In 84, 751 people in that area of Oregon suffered food poisoning due to the deliberate contamination of salad bars at 10 local restaurants with salmonella. Oh, that's horrible. Oh, yeah. A group of prominent followers of Rajneesh, later known as Osho, uh, had hoped to incapacitate the voting population of the city so their own candidates would win the 1984 elections. <sighs> oh, yeah. The incident was the first and still is the single largest bioterror attack in U.S. history. Wow. Now, listen, for those of you who are just drawing conclusions... We are not in any way, shape, or form saying that we have any reason to believe that the Bible Speaks did anything of the kind in their community in order to no. have political sway. No. But, but for the natives of Lennox, it does appear that they did do a few things that, you know, were not illegal, but not necessarily the most ethical to try to influence the local political scene. Task Force 84. Well, and also... We've, we mentioned this before, but can you imagine being someone from Lennox or Lee or the surrounding area, seeing that happen in Oregon, and then you're looking next door, and you've got these people, and you're like, oh my god, please don't poison me. I mean, I'm I'm not a scaredy cat, but I'll tell you what I probably wouldn't do. I wouldn't be eating any local salad bars. Uh, no, I wouldn't either. <laughs> All right. Here's where it's very interesting though because obviously in the early 80s in the 80s there was this huge push for money mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right they were trying to get it from people who were coming to the church they were trying to get it from the um affiliate ministries they were trying to get their hands on money it just kind of sales like just about any way they wanted to and i had asked the question earlier what the heck why were they constantly needing money well here we go we're starting to find some things may of 1985 here we are Carl bought a $320,000 Palm Beach condo three weeks after Betsy donated, transferred, excuse me, $5 million in stocks to the church. Approximately. Approximately $5 million. Approximately. 
Um, um, and this is substantiated by an article and court documents, which again, we will get into later. Well, so. actually multiple articles and uh, yeah, yes. yeah, that condo was something else. Well, also $320,000 for Palm Beach condo then has got to be substantially more now. Well, and if you've ever been to that area, my humble, my husband and I stumbled into that area kind of, kind of sort of on accident. We were looking for something in particular and we just ended up in this very ritzy part of Palm Beach. And actually, I think it was one of our Uber drivers told us that people think that Rodeo Drive, like that whole area LA scene is extremely ritzy and wealthy and they have nothing on Palm Beach. Like this is like the exclusive ritzy wealthy community take it for what you will it was a newer driver well knows more about it than i do but i don't really know him well enough to know that that he's necessarily being accurate but after our experience of walking down the street and the things we saw i would not doubt it <laughs> well lita epstein had a mansion in palm beach oh yeah. so i can believe it i can believe it the number of people with a lot of money who have property down there and the the stores that they had we even had my poor husband we even had like kind of a pretty woman moment and it wasn't in a store we were just looking at a at a directory in this archway because we were trying we were actually looking for a specific shop um which we, we did end up finding um that was i actually bought you a present from and <laughs> but we were there was this it's little archway and we were there was a map there were a few tables and there was a map of the area and you could figure out what stores were where and whatever we immediately could figure out looking at this map that we were definitely way out of our element because we are not ritzy fancy people um i mean not that i wouldn't enjoy a nice ritzy fancy whatever but that's just not who we are in our general everyday life and this lady sitting at a table having a snack or whatever said can i help you and my husband was very polite and just said no we're all set we're just checking out the map and she literally pulled her pocketbook closer to herself. Like, we didn't approach her. We were not bothering anybody. And yet, as soon as she realized that we were not in her area or in her league, it was like that pretty woman moment of, like, like we really felt small for a moment. <laughs> Some people, man. I will say, though, from, like, 82 to 85, Carl was putting in work because by fall of 1985... The college enrollment was back up to 626, which is a huge leap. Well, I mean, the the college was probably another way of bringing in money. So, I mean, it costs money. 100%. When you have a property as big as Lenox, and then you're talking about expensive real estate and and, and helicopters and, and, and planes and wanting to build a hangar, like, you're <laughs> talking about needing to bring in a significant amount of money on a very regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the article I mentioned earlier, The Bible Speaks, Problems of Power and Descent, came out on November 4th, 1985. So here's a couple excerpts from that. After learning in March that the church had been rocked by dissension, the Eagle interviewed more than 100 people, including more than 60 former members and leaders of The Bible Speaks. Their statements about The Bible Speaks include allegations of teaching that the word of Stevens had a special anointing from God, and that God punishes people who question or speak out against the church, sometimes with cancer or violent death. Verified through the CR, CR report. Well, and people that we know that were there. Yeah. Um, dividing families by teaching members not to discuss the church with outsiders who may be satanically deceived. 
that teaching is part of a general doctrine against listening to criticism of a church. So if you listen to criticism, you're... I actually personally heard a message in Baltimore where they preached on a verse about hating your mother and their father in a very literal and unbiblical way, and I just about fell off my chair. Gross. Um, Requiring unusual dedication to the Bible speaks into Pastor Stevens, including incidents of having members take tape-recorded vows never to speak against the ministry or Stevens. (laughs) Yeah. Encouraging and soliciting families to sell their homes and donate all proceeds to the church under the assumption, which proved false, they could live rent-free on campus. Eavesdropping on members' phone conversations and taping some of them without any permission at all. Or I would imagine all of them probably didn't have permission. Obtaining honorary academic degrees for Stevens and other church leaders from unlicensed institutions. Um, obtaining is one word for it. Purchasing is Purchasing. Another. Allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. No, I don't even think that's allegedly. I'm pretty sure that's on the record at this point. Is it? All right, I'll, I'll go with it. Uh, receiving accreditation for the Stevens School of the Bible from an organization that is not recognized by private or public bodies of higher education. Yeah, and that's I, that accreditation is an issue that will come up again later. Um, because that, that, was, that was an issue, I think, pretty much throughout the entire time they had Bible colleges. They still they still have a Bible college and it still isn't accredited. So, yeah, it's and not, not for lack of some people trying, but we'll get into that later on in another episode. Um, there's a story from November of 1985 from the Berkshire Eagle entitled "Waiting for God to Get Me," where they're talking with somebody who I actually don't know their first name, so I'm just going to use the last name because that's the only thing I could see. The last name is called Daly. Um, in an interview um, with him at his home in Waterboro, Maine, he said he had the fear um, about leaving. It was about leaving um, Lennox to return to Maine, that he was scared. And that after worrying continuously, he said he pulled his car off the road one day and saw a sign of whether divine retribution was coming. Finally, I asked God to take me if he was going to. I really stood there waiting for God to get me. I thought God would strike me because I had heard Carl tell so many stories. Oh. Historically, the Bible Speaks is not the first church to be accused of using fear of divine retribution as a mechanism of control. However, former members of the Bible Speaks said that in private conversations or rap sessions with Stevens, they often heard about divine retribution directed at people who opposed the Bible Speaks. They say that Stevens would mention offhandedly that a former pastor who left the church had been divorced, injured, or otherwise struck by tragedy. Often repeated is a story of a man who spoke out against them in Maine. And soon after, his tractor fell on his son, killing him. That's horrible. Horrible. Another story is of a man who criticized the church and contracted cancer of the tongue. We (laughs) discussed that on the previous episode. Yeah. People who confirmed hearing stories of this included one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people, including two pastors or former pastors. I don't know if they are now. Um, but that, I mean, well, and people <sighs> related to have said the same thing to us that when they finally left, they they thought they were gonna die. And we've heard so many variations of this story. It really just, I can't. Yeah, it's it's really upsetting, honestly. It is extremely upsetting. Like, what? Mm. Yeah, it's I a mean, lot. there is a Bible verse that clearly says God has not given us a spirit of fear. And whether you believe the Bible or not, if you are a pastor and you are using fear tactics like this, I, that is completely unbiblical. 
child. Uh, November 6, 1985, there's an article from the Berkshire Eagle that exposed home sales for Carl because that's been contended in the past. It exists. If you guys want to see it, let us know. We'll send it to you. It's long. So... And it's very small print. <laughs> yeah, it's an extraordinary small print. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily worth reading today, um, but it is It is there. So that's the thing. Um, there's another Berkshire article that says groups form to spread word against Bible Speaks. Mm. This one's interesting. Uh, so some of the former members of the Bible Speaks have merged together to create a small group and to disseminate information about the church called 12 Inc. The, incorporated. Interesting. Right? The group first met on August 4th, 1984, after one and a half years of advanced work by its founder and first president, John R. of Gloucester. I wonder if that 12 Inc. is either a reference to the fact that there were 12 of them that started it, or they're referencing the 12 disciples. Oh, interesting. I thought I thought it would be 12 people, but that it could be both. It could be either one. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, a member of the Bible speaks from January 1979 to May 1983. John R. said his purpose is to research, document, and bring to light what he considers the abuses in the church. Twelve Zinc's address is listed, which we're not going to say because it doesn't matter anymore anyways. Uh, John R. has not met with universal support of former Bible Speaks members. Some former members called the members of the Twelve Inc. vindictive, saying they are still obsessed with the Bible Speaks president, Carl H. Stevens Jr. Many of the former leaders of the Bible Speaks took a more benevolent attitude towards the ministry than Twelve Inc. does. Some of them said they regretted some of the things that they did in the church, but feel they outgrew it. They said they were now eager to put the Bible Speaks behind them and get on their lives. I do think that kind of like, we've, I think we might have mentioned this before, but there's like layers of involvement. Some people were hurt worse than others. Well, and we, there is this, there, I can understand the wanting to leave it behind and move forward. For sure. And it's the same kind of thing. Like if you don't take the time to properly address something, it doesn't stay in the past forever. Well, and there are people on the periphery that just went to services there and that's kind of it. So for them to leave is not that big of a deal. Yeah. But for somebody who's right, whose family was apart or who was abused or who was in deep with, with the church, it's much harder. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that people who would not agree with that our podcast would probably take the same kind of attitude um, that we're being vindictive, which nothing could be for the truth or that we're obsessed with this. To be quite honest with you, if we could have our, 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 uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say druthers, but <laughs> if we could have choice in the matter, this is not what we would want to be doing. This is not the experience we would have wanted to have, and this is not what we want to be doing. But because this has been buried for so long, and our personal stories have buried for so long, and so many people we know have had trauma that has been buried for so long, it's not that we want to do it, but we're finding more and more as we're having conversations with people that this was a necessary thing to do. Yeah, I will definitely say I was thinking about this last night because we recorded with someone last night that will come out later on. Um, when we make these history episodes, I am I am proud of the research that we've done and how hard we've worked and they come out well good. Like, I'm proud of them. But I don't get the same feeling that I do when we when we interview people. When we do that, after we've left that interview, I get this feeling that we're just doing something that, that is good. Like, it's really good and can really help people. I agree. And it's not even just the interviews we've recorded so far. It's even the conversations behind the scenes with people yes. who aren't to come forward. 
Yes. But who are reaching out and finding that this has been helpful or in, in, in some cases they're giving us information that's been helpful to us in our mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't speak to the intent of this group and maybe they were vindictive. I, I really don't know. Couldn't blame them. But I think it's worth the benefit of the doubt. Were they really being vindictive or were they really, really that badly hurt and they were just trying to keep other people from being hurt? It's all about perspective, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we do our best to not be uh, vindictive. I know I'm a little spicier usually than you, but... <laughs> We we're doing our best, obviously, but I like I said when we when we talk to people about this, it's some of the best conversations I've ever had in my life, honestly. And I just feel like we're we're doing something beneficial to the, not the I don't want to sound conceited, it's not the world, but like I'm I'm putting something out there that's good. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. And the day that I feel like we've moved into something that is more negative or vindictive is the day I would want to stop. Yep, same. Same. Huh. Moving right along. Ooh, and you've got one other article here that that uh from Daniel Keating, God bless him, of the Berkshire Eagle. Oh, he did a lot of work. That uh, addresses the Moody Bible Institute, the Moody Books, and the um, diploma. And this is actually kind of funny as I'm looking at this. And it, it starts off saying that they obviously listed repeatedly newspaper articles that Carl graduated from or studied at the prestigious Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and that he took courses that correspondence portion of the school. And their proof was that they showed Moody Bible books that they said belonged to pastor. Well, big deal. Anybody could buy Bible books the same way that anybody could buy a diploma, which is something that they vain themselves admitted at the end of this article Wait, I do just want to point out really fast that Daniel Keating was not messing around. The The name of this article is Stevens and his Bible school lack real academic credentials. Like, right for the throat. The president of the Stevens School of the Bible at the time that this was written actually said, made, said that Stevens' degrees are legitimate honors and that the ministry would not stop buying the degree credentials because this is America where everybody knows you can buy a degree from Florida or California today. Why should we let people tell us what we can do? Which number one acknowledges the fact that he bought it. Yeah. But number two, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. Well, in the article, too, it's, it gives the name of the person they spoke to in the registrar's office at Moody that said, no, he never, ever completed a course. He could have bought some books. And she even acknowledged. Yes. He might have bought some books, but he never sent in the work. Yep. Yep. Uh... yep. And the article also says that the church paid $160 a piece for each degree. Yep. From the Clarksville <laughs> School of Theology, which was never a licensed school in the state that it was in and was shut down after a court battle, according to the assistant to the director of licensure for the Tennessee Higher Education Commission. <laughs> so, so, so crazy. Uh, another little, another little Rajneeshi gem. I just find these things fascinating, especially the parallels. Uh, in 1985, I'm with you. Oh, yeah. In 1985, there was an assassination plot. Uh, this is from Wikipedia, so whatever. But I've I've read a lot about these. This is pretty accurate. Um, in 1985, a group of high-ranking Rajneeshis, followers of Osho, conspired to assassinate Charles Turner, the then U.S. Attorney for the District of Oregon. Rajneesh's personal secretary and second-in-command, 
I'm going to call her Sheila, assembled the group after Turner was appointed to investigate illegal activity at the followers' community, Rajneesh Puram. Turner investigated charges of immigration fraud and sham marriages. <laughs> That'll come up later on. And later headed the federal prosecution of a 1984 Rajneesh bioterror attack in Oregon. Shades of Scientology, my friends. Well, not even Scientology. Like, some of this ends up... Ha- well, yeah. Spoiler alert. Some of this ends up happening later. And, and I and I need to clarify, I'm not accusing Scientology of trying to assassinate anybody personally, although certainly they do a very good job trying to assassinate people's character. We gotta stop talking huh. about Scientology. They're gonna come after us. <laughs> I don't like it. Everything I have said so far is on the public record. If they don't like that... That's all now. Well, that's they do that though. Um, I yikes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so that closes out in 1985. We're gonna stop here because in 1986, things with Betsy Dovey Dennis pop off, and so it's a great place to stop. Uh, and next time we'll be coming at you with all of that. Yeah. This is this. Uh, we have now fully set the table for what is about to be the end of Lennox. The end of Lennox and one of two very public downfalls of Carl. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. But at this point, as you'll see to this point in the story, the really unfortunate part is how many people reached out and tried to help and tried to correct the train, who tried to put things back on track, who tried to reason. It's not like all these people just let it go and then we're quick to point the finger and criticize it sounds like a lot of people both within and outside the church tried over and over and over and over and over again to avoid what eventually happened yeah which is it's just it's just a shame i do think it's funny that in lennox one like obviously there was things that we talked about that are controversial like the affairs and stuff but this 80 to 85 and then including the betsy dominant stuff later on like the FBI wiretapping what is going on yeah it feels like we've entered crazy town (laughs) yeah yep and unfortunately (laughs) and apparently sometime in all of this Carl Stevens hurt his back and was prescribed painkillers and this is obviously alleged but from people that were there it seems that he began to abuse those painkillers while still in Lennox which I'm going to say, like, I'm not trying to excuse his behavior by any means. Well, that happens to people. That to anybody. And this, this is where the drug crisis in America really started, if you ask me. The overprescription of, of medications like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it still happens today. And, and it still does. Another, very much another very unfortunate situation. It, it is. It is sad. Um but it's another factor to consider when you think about some of the things he was saying that seems so unhinged. Maybe that was partially part of the issue. I don't know. I don't know how much of it was that or how much of it was his own ego. It's really hard to say. Oh, I think probably both played a role. But it's just worth mentioning that that was something that was going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Um. But yeah, anyway, guys, thank you for bearing with us through another very long history episode. Actually, I'm glad you said that because somebody actually messaged me this week because they heard us apologizing about the episode being long, the last one we just did on Lennox. Oh, yeah? And they wanted to say that we shouldn't apologize oh. because, number one, it's been it's very interesting and it flows and it doesn't feel like it was that long when you listen to it, which 
truthfully, I kind of felt the same way listening to it back. I was like, oh, that actually went by really quick. But also, because because the information is so helpful in building a foundation to where we're going, they were like, stop apologizing for that because it's actually very, very helpful what you're doing. You know, I wonder if the reason it seems so long to me, like my perception of it, is because I have to edit it and it takes well, forever. That is true. What What you end up getting is not the full length of what we end up recording because I'm sure other podcasters if they were to fill you in on their secrets would tell you there are places they have to stop they the dogs bark or things happen the phone rings so right you know it's not that we're cutting out content that you wouldn't find interesting or whatever but things happen <laughs> well and sometimes we say things that belong on the cutting room floor let's just be honest with ourselves like we we don't always have zingers sometimes we do <laughs> um but especially like I'm a wicked perfectionist. Um, I've mentioned that I'm an artist. Like I, I want things that I put out in the world to be as good as I can make them at the time, at the very least. Yeah. Um, and I'm aware that we're still learning and we're still growing and stuff. But like I, I want to do my best that I can. So I spend a lot of time really like making it as good as I can, making the sound quality good, getting rid of background noise, getting rid of long pauses because sometimes we just need a minute to think. <laughs> like, I, I try really hard. So it ends up taking quite a few hours. Um, just to edit one half hour episode. Um, so when they're this long for me, it's like, and I do want to thank you for that. Like for those who don't know, we record together and we both do research. Yeah. But really at the end of the day, Karen does quite a bit of work on the editing and the flow of these podcast episodes. And she deserves a lot of credit for that. Well, I, 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 I commend you for the job you do because you do do it very well. I do appreciate that. For me, it's worth it because you do all the reaching out to people and and I'm just so bad at like talking to people for the most part. I guess I say that and uh, people disagree with me now. I, I can I can put on a pretty good, like not a mask, but like I can I can hype myself up to get there. But you're much more naturally inclined to, to talk to people and be relatable. So the fact that you do that part of things is very helpful for me. <laughs> Well, it, you know, it works. It all comes out in the wash. We both have things we're really strong at and, and we play to each other's strengths. And it's nice that way. We do our best. Yeah. All right. We'll stop rambling now. Thanks, guys, for listening. We appreciate <laughs> you. Uh, as always, as always, <laughs> email us at childrenofgracepodcast at gmail.com. I'm sorry it's so long. Uh, find us on Instagram, childrenofgrace underscore podcast. We are now on TikTok. And I'm pretty sure it's children.of.grace. And you can find us on Facebook. Just type in Children of Grace. I think you'll find us. It's the same picture. We're, we're, we've kind of established a good social media presence. We're working on our engagement. Yes, it's a slow build up. It's a slow build, but, you know, it is what it is. Make sure you like and subscribe. Um, as we alluded to in our previous episode, we have things coming up that you do not want to miss. I actually had somebody ask me this week. When's your next episode coming out? And I said, oh, did you catch the one that we dropped Sunday? And they went, oh, I didn't know. You want to know? You got to hit that subscribe button and then log in. Your yep, you'll get notifications. Um, and also we release, typically release every other week. So that is also the time frame to look for. But much easier when you click that follow button. Yeah, notifications help a lot. Mm -hmm. And I just want to, like, just a little, little teaser. We've been talking a lot of talk about, like, exciting things coming. The next episode, we have been keeping a secret about for a, a while, and it is the episode we've kind of been teasing. So I'm just so excited. Me too. You guys are going to lose your mind. Me too. I, I, I really kind of can't believe. I Yeah, I still can't. I still can't. <laughs> Hopefully it all yeah. works out, because if it doesn't, this is going to be real awkward later.
Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Uh...